Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. You know, in recent years, Super Bowl Sunday has almost become a national holiday. I mean, it is one of the biggest events that happens in February, obviously, besides Valentine's. But uh, if you don't really care for, to watch the game, you end up going to parties, right, eating good food, and of course, watching commercials. And uh, commercials have been really great. They were really great at this Super Bowl. Uh, matter of fact, I think this was the one of the highest Super Bowls uh, this last year. But when it came to commercials years back, they would, uh, marketers and, and companies would tend to buy a lot, uh, and put a lot of money into a commercial and they made sure that it was in the first part of the game. Now they put it in the first part of the game, uh, because that's when most people were paying attention. Most people were still involved because if you have a, a game that gets blown out by halftime, no one's really going to watch it. And sometimes when there's blowouts, you know, the viewer, starts to drop and, and no one really cares anymore, so no one really pays attention to the commercials. But this year it seemed like the commercials were great and and one of my favorite commercials actually I think might have won an award for this, but uh it's the commercial, it's the Tubi commercial. Maybe you saw it. It's it comes back and it's got the two uh announcers and they're like, this is just a great game and what's going on, how these teams are doing it and the other announcer's like, oh it's great and all of a sudden it pauses. And it's like the if you have a streaming service and all of a sudden, like, pops, the screen goes black, you go down to this other show, and this other mo- and then you go to a movie, and it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and you, and then it clicks, and then it says, Tubi, right? Their streaming service. And I just remember that commercial absolutely sent me just in kind of a tizzy. I, you know, if you have a streaming service, it, that's how your, your, um, excuse me, your TV works, and I remember, that as I'm sitting there, I'm going, hey, kids, who's got the remote? Who's sitting on the remote? Right? And I'm frantically going, let's get back to the game. And my kids are like, it's not us. It's not us. And the commercial lasted like 15 seconds. And here I'm going out for all my kids. And I go, oh, it's a commercial. And all the time I had the remote right next to me. So, but the reason I, I tell you that, and you can go look on YouTube and, and other um you know, social media and stuff like that, where there's guys that are, you know, throwing over couch cushions and they're frantic about this commercial. But the reason why I tell you that is because nobody likes distractions uh, or interruptions when they're watching something or when they're doing something. Nobody likes interruptions. And interruptions are the worst. And that's kind of this mutual feeling and understanding that all people have. You know, it's the reason why they, when you go to the movie theaters, they say, hey, take your baby out of its crying. You know, silence your cell phone. I mean, in reality, that uh, rule of silencing your cell phone is kind of like an unwritten rule now, whether you're in church or whether you're in the movie theater or someone's giving a presentation. You don't want to be that guy with the cell phone and all of a sudden it goes off, and everyone's looking at you like, come on, really turn it off. You know, you don't want to be that person. But we also, um, you, you talk about this, interruptions. And the thing about interruptions is since we don't want to be interrupted, we all take certain actions for it. And in fact, you know, for um, some of you, it's the reason why you don't pick up a phone call. 
Well, what I mean by that is, well, you'll look at your phone and you see who's calling and you determine if you're going to pick it up. And the person that's probably on the other line, you know, is going to take 10 minutes of your time. And so you're there and you're thinking, do I really want to be interrupted? Do I really have 10 minutes to give to this person? And if you don't, what you tend to do is you don't hit decline, but you hit your phone one time, so it kind of rings and it goes to voicemail, and your friend knows you don't decline it. It's like, oh, I was just busy, right? Uh, but we, we have that. We don't want to be distracted or interrupted that way. Some of you, um, I don't know, really in Texas, when we go to the grocery store, oh my gosh, we just talk. And people talk, and they talk, and that was one of the, the things that I had to... Um, kind of learn when I moved here about three, three and a half years ago. See, because when I would go to the grocery store, if I saw a coworker, or if I saw someone that I didn't want to talk to or saw a friend from high school, I'd be going down the aisle and, and we wouldn't have a conversation, right? I'm going the other direction. I'm going down a different aisle because I don't want to talk to that person. And maybe you, you do that. I mean, maybe that is you. you. You still talk, but you're like, I don't want to waste 20 minutes or, or I don't want to be interrupted. And, since um, some of you want space and silence, you don't want to be interrupted. When you come home, you just like, I, I'm done. I'm done for the day. I want to recharge by having my space, and I want it silent. So you end up going to your room, shutting the door, only to find out that you're going to be interrupted about 50 times because either spouse or your kids or someone's going to come in, and they're going to probably ask you questions. And you're like, oh my, can I just have some peace? Or maybe your husband just wants to talk or your wife wants to talk and they just kind of just talk, talk, talk. And you're like, I just want space and silence. I don't want to be interrupted. And so that is is for adults and that's just kind of how you're wired. And that's just anybody, you're wired for space and silence. But this is not an adult thing. There's actually kids don't like to be interrupted. And teenagers don't like to be interrupted, right? They, they give you books on parenting. And the parenting books, you know, say this. If you want to avoid a tantrum, you count down, right? Five, four. Well, the kid already knows he's going to come at one, right? So you're going to avoid a tantrum either way, and either he's going to come or he's not going to come. And if you have teenagers, teenagers hate being interrupted when they're doing something important, like watching YouTube or playing some game or, you know, there's screen time and you're like, okay, it's time to do chores or it's time to do homework. And they're like, ugh, I don't want to do homework or whatever. And they start complaining or they do the chores and they kind of just complain and they walk towards you just complaining and complaining and complaining. They don't like to be interrupted. And it's true for everybody. But what about when God interrupts us? What do you do when God interrupts you in your daily life, and how do you respond? Because the truth, truth of the matter is that he actually does interrupt. He's the master of interruptions. And interruptions occur around him. And when God begins to interrupt people, here's what they understand. They, it helps us understand that he is sovereign, that God uses accidents quote-unquote, he uses interruptions for his glory. And we can find grace that it can occur in our own lives. So with, with all of this, Jesus' life is full of interruptions. 
And again, he was one that was a master of interrupting the status quo, and so he challenged religious leaders, and he ignored cultural norms, talking to women, healing the sick, healing the lame, and the religious leaders came up against him, and he even interrupted death. And for most of us, we know that Jesus has interrupted our lives as well. So we're starting this series called Interruptions. Not just interruptions, but divine interruptions. And this is where we will begin to see where Jesus interrupts people. And he interrupts you and I, and it's to see the glory and the sovereignty. And anytime Jesus would interrupt someone's life, things changed. And today we're going to look at a passage where the disciples, they weren't the disciples just yet, but when he interrupted what they were doing, their lives were changed. The path in the course of their life was altered. So you can open up to Luke chapter 1, and we're starting in verse, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we're going to see these disciples, but as you turn there, the thing about Luke is, Luke is different from Matthew and Mark. In his writings. And for Luke, he was a man that would, would come after and he would interview all the eyewitnesses who had an account of Jesus' life. That were actually following Jesus. That actually saw these things. And, and that what I like about Luke is he writes details. As a, as a doctor, he begins to write some different details. All the same story, but a little bit de- different details, a different perspective than Matthew or Mark. So with that, I want to I want you to go and, and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in 1. And here's kind of the story that Luke begins to tell about. It says in verse uh, 1, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gisenerat, the people were crowding him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, the interesting thing here is that Matthew and Mark and Luke all agree on the place. It's, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's in northern Israel. Now, Luke actually began to say it was the Sea of Gisenerat, but it's, it's really called the Sea of Galilee. And they all agree on one thing, that there's a throng of people who are following Jesus. And you know this to be true if you ever watch TV and you see a famous person. It seems like everyone is following this person. There's just like a a group around them. Well, this is Jesus. Because Jesus is touching people. Jesus is teaching people. There's something different about this Jesus. And so crowds are following him around the Sea of Galilee. And as they begin to, to do that, Matthew and Mark have some a little interesting details, and it's different from uh, Luke, because Matthew had said that Andrew and his brother were with Peter in this story. Mark says that James and John and their dad was there in the boat, and when Jesus actually talked to them, they actually just kind of left their dad there, left the business. But Luke doesn't do that. Luke kind of gives us kind of this different picture, this detailed picture, and, and he says that the two boats were left at the water's edge. Now, see, this is interesting why the boats were left there, because it says they were washing their nets, and we just think, you know, you're just washing your nets. It's kind of like a process like washing clothes, but in fact, it isn't. It's actually a little bit more 
than just washing your nets. Yeah, they're washing their nets. They're getting rid of the fish stuff and maybe, you know, guts or whatever. But then they begin to mend their nets. And then after they mend their nets, they start folding their nets and putting them away for future use. So the picture that Luke gives us is these men have already fished and now they're done. So with that, everything changes as they're beginning to wrap it up for the day. Jesus gets in one of their boats and life changes. He interrupts what is taking place. And so in verse 3 it says, He got into the boats, that is Jesus, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, Jesus entered that boat, and he saw two things. First one, it was kind of an escape from the crowd, right? So again, the crowd is around him. He gets in the boat. He pushes off a little off the shore. But the other thing, too, was that he began to teach from there. And, and it, the Sea of Galilee is kind of this lake in northern Israel, and it's kind of got some hilly mountain tops and just hillsides and when you begin to speak out a little bit of ways of shore, your voice is amplified. So they can hear him clearly. So he gets a little, you know, away from the crowds and it gives him an opportunity to speak. Now, but when he's done, something again changes here and it, and it picks up and it, it takes place for Peter and the fishermen. He changes their direction. And here's what it says in verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the net let down the nets for a catch now peter may have been a little confused like jesus you're the teacher i'm the fisherman right he might be a little hesitant because this doesn't make sense because a fisherman would have to go to the shallow end during the daytime if he wanted to catch fish if he wanted to catch fish in the deep end they would go at night. Now remember this. They have mended their nets. They're packing up their stuff. They're done. They're done for the day. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to go out in the deep and uh, go catch some fish. And I don't know if Peter internally is thinking, well, wait, we've just did that. And you're asking me to do that? And he could have been a little hesitant. But the thing about Peter was he obeyed. And it showed a significant step in faith. He obeys Jesus. Even though it doesn't make sense to him in his brain, he knows who Jesus is. He's asking him to do something and he obeys. And again, it is a step in faith for Peter. So this is, as the story continues in verse 6, it says this, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they helped them fill the boats. So full that they began to sink. Now think about that just, just for a moment here. Now, Peter could have been hesitant. He was amazed. But what transpired? Even though he thought, well, I'm not so sure about this, and he obeyed, a miracle happened and a miracle followed. See, the result of the catch was that it began to not only break their nets, they were catching so many fish, they had to signal for the other boat to come over. 
Now think about this. If it's kind of like a just a medium-sized wooden boat or, you know, we're not talking canoe. We're talking probably a medium-sized wood boat here. Think of how much weight you would have to put in that boat for it to actually begin to sink. See, that's how much fish they caught. Their nets were so full that the, the nets began to break, but also what happened was the boat began to sink. See, and, and this miracle, this kind of thing just happened. Well, I just obeyed the Lord. I went out and I caught the most fish I've ever caught. And so Peter begins to do something. And, and what you have to understand is if you're looking for a miracle, if you're looking for the Lord to do something in your life, first step is obedience. Obedience opens the door for Jesus to move in your life and to God to do something in your life. And that's what happened for Peter. I mean, he obeyed and a miracle followed. The story goes on because transformation takes place not only with the boat and the fishing, but something happens in Peter's life. In verse 8 it says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now there's two things that really uh, stuck, stood out here because the two responses was this. First of all, that they were all amazed how much fish they caught. Right? They were all shocked and surprised how much fish they actually caught. And the second thing was that Peter, when he's looking in the light of who he is, Compared to his master, there was no comparison. See, he felt unworthy. He felt a sinful man. He understood what he was and who he was in regards to the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus. And so these two things transpired, and he confesses his sin and his unworthiness to him. But the result of this is even though Peter recognizes his sinfulness, before Jesus, that begins a transformation. But the result is this, that Jesus' encounter and his interruption would not just take place for Peter, but for the other fishermen as well. And in verse 10, it, it reads this, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats to shore and left everything and followed him. Think about that for a moment. When people have an encounter with Jesus, their life is never the same. Right? He inter interrupts our life. He changes our trajectory. And in this case, the disciples were no different. Jesus says, you are no longer fish for men. You no longer be fishermen. You will be disciples. I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. And it transforms their life. See, in some commentators and some people believe that this was not the first occasion where they actually met Jesus. Some believe that beforehand, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and that the disciples might have seen him, uh, you know, 
remove a demon out of a, out of a man. But whatever the case is, it doesn't matter if this is the third time they've seen Jesus or it's the first time they see Jesus, something happened when he interrupted their lives. Look, they are going to be done for the day. Jesus interrupts their lives and says, go get a catch. And after that catch, he totally transforms the, their life and the path, their life's path. And see, they left their pr- profession. They left what they knew. They, they were fishermen. Right? And there was a sense of obedience and leaving it all for behind for the sake of following Jesus who has, no, he says, I have nowhere to lay my head. I don't know where I go. I have no home. And yet they follow this man out of obedience because of what he said and what transpired. The interruption led to life transformation for these men because when they decided to follow Jesus. They made a radical commitment as soon as they left everything and followed. See, it was an openness to his leading and to put their life and their resources in Jesus' hands. Look, commitment to Jesus is a radical thing. And discipleship is demanding. It's not easy following Jesus, but it's definitely rewarding. And when you start to begin to follow him, it's a radical thing. And it might be even demanding as he disciples you and moves in you. But see, Jesus interrupts their lives and now he would do so for another man. So you can go down to verse 27. And in verse 27, he interrupts another man's life and changes his course and his life path and his trajectory. And it's by the name of Levi. And it says this in verse 27, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, here it is again, left everything and followed him. This call of Levi was also known as Matthew. So when Matthew writes about his own story in Matthew, he says he's Matthew. Here he talks about Levi and it's the same person. It's one and the same. But What Luke doesn't talk about really is his position as a tax collector. See, his position as a tax collector alienated him from the religious community because he was seen as a traitor. See, Matthew was a man who was all about material gain, and tax collectors were hated. See, what they would do is they were working for the Roman government, they'd tax the Jews, but they'd tax them a little bit higher and pocket some of the money, and that's how they got wealthy. That's how they made their money. So they're traitors. And he doesn't really say that, but you, you get this picture that he was definitely one that would be an unlikely candidate to follow Jesus. Right? You would never think of this man. So Jesus interrupts his life, and it says that he simply spoke the words, follow me, and what happened? He followed. See, Matthew broke away from his life and followed Jesus. And this was the response much like the the fishermen. They just dropped everything and went. But for Matthew, when he drops everything, he can't go back. It's a life decision. Because as soon as he crosses that that tax booth, they're going to replace him with somebody else. But he just, this new commitment that Matthew had established with Jesus his friends begin to hear about and know about. And it says this in verse 29, Then Levi 
held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now this transformation, again, is known by Matthew when he begins to invite his friends. He invites his friends to eat with him. He throws his big banquet, and Jesus is the guest of honor. See, Matthew could have been very wealthy. I mean, he threw this big banquet. It cost him money, probably a lot of money. So he could be very wealthy by being a tax collector. But he sees it as this. This would be an ideal opportunity to share the message of the kingdom of God with his guests. See, these people were part of his circle, maybe a wider circle, including outcasts. And they weren't just tax collectors, because we'll see that they call them sinners as well, but it was adulterers, it was thieves, and people who were just evil. So it's all the friends and the people that Matthew hangs out with. He invites them to have an encounter and, and eat with Jesus. But see, the only person who really had a problem with it was the religious people. And in verse 30, the Pharisees begin to have a problem. It says that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, their religious sect, they complained, not to, not to Jesus. Who do they complain to? It says, they complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees despised these individuals. These were the type of people that when Jesus hung out with them, made him a strong target for criticism. They were criticizing who he was eating with. They couldn't believe that he would associate with these types of people. They were sinners. They were outcasts. How dare he, this rabbi, this teacher, eat and drink with these people who are unworthy? See, for this reason, they started to complain to Jesus' disciples. And of course, Jesus overhears them, but he's doing something in the process before he answers them. See, when he's eating and he's drinking with these people, this is significant. Because not only do the Pharisees object to this, but Jesus is making a statement. See, by eating and drinking with them, Jesus is showing that he is camaraderie with these men. So he's saying, not only am I eating with them, I associate with them, but I have camaraderie with them. And then Jesus responds to the criticism. So he makes a statement and he responds to the criticism in verse 31. Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus' response is remarkable. It points to the moral necessity and the responding of a need. See, if you need a physical touch, you go to the physical source. If you need a spiritual, you have a spiritual problem, you go and find the spiritual source. Help comes from the spiritual source or the physical source. Well, in this case, this problem was spiritual. He's saying, this is my mission to call the righteous and sinners to repentance. It is spiritual. So in this case, the source is Jesus. And without a real sense of need, no one can get help. See, radical change is needed to take place. When you say you need help, then radical change can take place. And Jesus, again, his mission was, it was for those who need repentance, a change from their way of life. And repentance equals a changed heart 
and a changed life. Changed heart and a changed life. And the Pharisees were in no need of such change. They needed it, but they didn't want it. See, but they might not have needed the change, but the fishermen and Levi did. And when Jesus interrupted their lives, they responded in obedience, and they learned a, it had a profound impact on their lives, and they learned something that day. And they learned and understood this, that when Jesus interrupts people's ordinary lives, he changes their whole trajectory. That when Jesus intersects and interrupts your life, that he changes your life's trajectory. And see, we shouldn't be shocked when Jesus interrupted these men's lives and changed the whole course of their lives. Nor should we be surprised when Jesus wants to interrupt our lives and change the directory of our lives. So the idea that these men said simply, okay, and immediately followed Jesus, that's a miracle. Who does that? Who just throws away the profession and throws away money, throws away what they're working towards, their job, and just follows a man. See, but when Jesus interrupts our lives, are we going to be eager to see the purposes and his purposes more important than our own? That when Jesus intercepts and interrupts your life, excuse me, when he interrupts your life, are you going to see that his purposes are more important than your own? Because the greatest in interruption is when Jesus offers us to follow him. See, through his work of Jesus interrupting you and me in our lives, the greatest thing is he interrupts the power of sin and death of our lives. That way we find a path of restoration and eternal life with him. He removes the shame and, and brings forgiveness. And sometimes we think this should be breaking news for all of us, and at times it isn't breaking news. And kind of, it reminds me of that local woman was on television and she was reading the teleprompter and her fiancé decided to mess with the teleprompter and propose on, with right there with her on live local television. It's a local affiliate news and she's standing there and they have the two news anchors and they're about to finish up the news. And she has her papers in her hand and she starts to read and she says, and now a news anchor will be proposed. And she kind of stops and she kind of realizes what she's reading. She's not really reading the news anymore. She's kind of shocked and the two men go, okay, we're out of here. And they step off stage and the fiance comes up, he gets down on one knee and he begins to say, you know, goes through the whole thing, will you marry me right there on live TV? Of course, she says yes, but the interesting thing is, is he actually talked to the producer or someone there, and he was actually to pull off them typing up the teleprompter at the end of the news set. And it was shocking for her, right? It was, it was breaking news for her. She's, she's thinking her life's going one way, and all of a sudden, it changes. And sometimes we think that when it comes to Jesus, that there's going to be this dramatic time, like this breaking news that he's going to interrupt. And sometimes it's less dramatic. See, some of us are, are broken in a place in our hearts and we recognize our need. We recognize our need for Jesus to fill our lives or to interrupt our lives. And then others of us might be just going through a normal, ordinary life 
And sometimes we miss Jesus even at His excellent work. We miss the interruption. But see, the call remains simple and powerful to all of us that He follow to follow Jesus. And our response is that He will change the trajectory of our lives. And see, maybe God does enter your life like an emergency broadcast system. Maybe He enters you like that message and takes you off guard. Or maybe He is just beginning to talk to you in a low volume. and Maybe He's giving you a direction or a call. But wherever or how He speaks to you and just blares like a broadcast or, or it's just kind of a low volume, the question is this. How are you going to respond? How will you respond to the interruption of Jesus in your life? See, and when Jesus and some of you have been sitting here and you know that Jesus changes your life and he transforms your life in in an incredible way. But see, when Jesus changes us, we shouldn't go back to our old lifestyle. See, there will be a tendency for you and for me to go back and to dabble in our own lifestyle and the way that we were before Jesus. And see, when Matthew made that choice, again, he was all in. He didn't go back to his old way of tax collecting. He was on a new path. And the fishermen, they could have gone back, but they chose not to go back. See, they chose not to go back because Jesus interrupted their life and changed their life forever. And when Jesus changed your life, there's no going back. See, and if Jesus is going to interrupt your life and my life, we can't be shocked when he calls us to a life that we need to have room in our lives for an interruption. See, if we're going to be like fishers of men like Peter, James, and John, or we're going to respond to the folks like Levi who are on the fringe or outcasts, then we must challenge ourselves to accept the truth and make room for interruptions. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, how am I going to do that? I mean, honestly, I mean, I go throughout the day and, and I, I'm, you know, I just, I just can't picture this. And how am I going to do this? See, there's two ways. First of all, God wants to interrupt your life, your daily life, by speaking to you. He wants to direct your life maybe in a different way. Maybe some way you never imagined or you thought. He wants to lead you in a way that might change you, not only change your day, but maybe change your life. But you have to make room for all of that. And I, and I know what you're thinking. Well, well, how can I make room for the Holy Spirit to move in my life? Because here's what we, we go through. We have a busy, packed day. And we get caught up in the urgent things and we get caught up with things that are so urgent that we kind of miss out on the spiritual matter. That we miss out on these divine appointments that Jesus has for you and, and me. And we go through our, our, our day and we wake up and we're like, okay, well, we got to get our, get ready for work. We don't want to be late for work. And then maybe if we have kids, we got to get our kids ready off to school. And I hope they stay at school. Right? I hope there's no problems at school. And then you go to work and maybe there's tension between you and a coworker and you're like, I hope this works. 
or I've got deadlines. And so we, we just kind of go through our fast paced day and we got deadlines to meet and paperwork to fill out and, and things to do. And, and in the midst of that spiritual stuff and spiritual things that need to interrupt our lives kind of be put on the back burner. That if God interrupts our life, we kind of miss it because we're so busy. But what if we allowed the Holy Spirit to speak to us throughout the day? What if we allowed us and took time at our lunch or took time throughout some part of the day and said, okay, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you just interrupt my life for a second? I'm giving you permission. Or you wake up in the beginning of the day, would you just interrupt me? I am okay with any interruption. Don't let me get so focused on the physical that I miss the spiritual. God, would you just begin to do something in and through me? Because the reality is, is that when Jesus interrupted, when he interrupted lives, it was for the kingdom of God. And see, I believe that God has set aside divine interruptions in your life. See, I don't know about you, but there was a point in my life where I was kind of bothered when people interrupted what I was doing. When I was in my office or I was at work and, and I'm focused and, you know, if you're task-driven, you understand this, that you're, you're task-driven and you're so focused on getting your stuff done and someone comes in and they start talking to you or you're doing a task and, you know, you say, well, can we walk and talk? <laughs> you know, I've got a task to do. And, and sometimes we kind of view these interruptions as problems and bothers. And Jesus never looked at someone as a bother or an interruption. He said, let the kids come to me. That woman, when he's walking in the, in the crowd and she touches him and takes the hem of garment and power releases, he, who touched me? Who touched me? And he goes to trying to, to find her. He doesn't look at her as a problem. It's a divine interruption. And see, God has placed people in your life and he intersects people in your daily life for daily interruptions. And perhaps we need to stop looking at people as bothering and preventing us from getting our task done and see that maybe that God has put them in that room for a time because he wants to change their life. That that's an divine encounter that maybe God wants to use you to touch that person. See, maybe he wants to do that for you. See, because I believe when God intersects someone with your life, you have the ability to change their life. That God brought them there for a specific reason, specific time. And God wants to use you to touch their life. See, and I've changed over the course of the years because now Sarah and I, when we're driving to work, you know what we pray? We pray, God, would you give us divine opportunities today? Would you give us divine opportunities with coworkers and people? Lord, we don't care if it's at work, if it's at the grocery store, if it's at the coffee shop. Would you give us divine opportunities? And I tell you what, more often times than not, that God answers that prayer. That there are days where we know that people come in or we run into people and it's divine opportunities. 
whether they're going some going through something or they're talking about something or they just need us just to to listen or pray with them see god brings people our way so that he can intersect their lives and he wants to use you and he wants to use me sometimes he wants to use us for these divine interruptions and i know what you're probably thinking well well i don't know what to say or i don't know what to do See, do you think God's going to bring someone your way and bring them and intersect them in your life and go, oh, good luck, you're on your own? No, God's not going to do that. See, God will give you the ability to say what you need to say. He'll give you the words to pray. He'll give you wisdom if you ask for these divine opportunities. God will use you in a way that will touch someone's life and perhaps change the course of their life through the power of his holy spirit but as i wrap up i just want to ask you one question the question is this how can you intentionally make room in your life for god's interruptions see god's going to interrupt our lives and he's going to disrupt our norms and he might disrupt our lives and others around us but we need to walk in those, in those interruptions each and every day. Because they may just lead to better lives and they may lead to someone else's life being changed. And God wants to do something. See, it says you have to intentionally do that. So in the midst of your urgent tasks, begin to make room for God to interrupt, disrupt your norm, change your life and perhaps change somebody else because when jesus interrupts people's ordinary lives their life changes and they will be different from that moment on because when people encounter jesus life change happens Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.